Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Let's get into our text this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I'm not sure if I even introduced myself. I'm excited to see you guys. If you are new here, I'm Derek Puckett, lead pastor here at Renewal Church of Chicago. They call me Pastor D here, so you're welcome to call me that too. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read two verses today, two verses that I really love, Hebrews chapter 12. And I I don't know about you all, but I've really been enjoying this Hebrews series, Jesus Reigns Supreme. Have you been enjoying this series? Has it been good? It's been good. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. If you got it, go ahead and stand to your feet today as we read the word of God together. Starting verse 1, hear now the reading of God's word. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Very word of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, let's run. Let's run. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, let's run. Turn the other way and say, let's run together, man, let's run. Let's run. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. You are awesome. Father, I do pray as I pray every week to decrease me, Lord Jesus, so that you may increase in this place. Father, hide me behind your cross. Have your way. We need to hear from you. God, I do ask that the meditation of my heart And the words that come out of my mouth are acceptable in your sight. For you are my redeemer, Lord, and my rock. God, let us hear from you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, the Summer Olympics just ended. How many of y'all enjoyed watching the Summer Olympics? I see some high hands raised, some claps. They just ended, and one thing that I I love to watch during the Olympics are the sprinters. I love watching the sprinters. Now, it wasn't the same this year without my my main man in the the race. Uh, There was no Usain Bolt, but... Nonetheless, the routines and the workouts, and it was, it was pretty much the same thing. And see, one thing that I love to watch is, or, or pay attention to, is the, the warm-up outfits that they have on. 
I mean, not, not because they're just, they're cool, they're nice. I'm looking at the new Nike fit, and I'm like, I like that one. I got to get that one. But, but what I'm really paying attention to is that many times they have layers of clothing underneath their warm-ups, and then some of them even have it on, on top of their warm-ups. They have layers of clothing on top of their warm-ups, and they do this for two reasons. So one reason is for them to, to warm up, to, to actually sweat a bit, and then the other one is that by wearing all these layers, it creates weight. As a matter of fact, if, you are able, if you're ever a sprinter or you, you pay attention to the sprinters and how they work out and when they practice, many times you will see them running with a parachute attached to the back of them, sprinting down uh, the, the, the lane with a parachute on the back. Or, or you'll see them with a partner, and the partner has this, this resistance band wrapped around their waist, and they're running really hard, and they're holding them back with the, the resistance band. Or, or if you've never seen that, maybe you, you work out like me, and my, my trainer Marcel's in the back, and they, they, they put, these, they put these, these weights on the sled. And maybe you, you've seen them push the sled down the track, or, or maybe you've seen them pull that sled down the track. Now, the reason that they're doing this is that all of this makes them faster, and it makes them run more efficiently when the weight is removed. So, yeah, it's to prepare them for the race, but it also makes them run more efficiently and faster without the weights. Again, Olympic sprinter, or sprinter for that matter, maybe some of you are that, when they strip off their warm-up gear, don't miss this, and they eliminate the, electric, the extra weight, the wind resistance, when they, they practice with the weights, it makes them run faster when it counts. You see, what I'm really trying to get at here, and don't miss this point, is that extra weight keeps you from running the way in which you should. It, it simply bogs you down. You can't run as fast. Friends, what, what I'm trying to get at, and I don't want you to miss this, and what I believe the author is really trying to relate to us is that the same goes for Christians. Believers are to intentionally lay aside anything in their life or any sin that might trap them or keep them from going to where they need to go spiritually or prevent them from running the race of faith that God has set before them. Lay it aside. This means that when the proverbial weights of life start coming and stacking up in your life and they start bogging you down with like your job or different losses or hardships they start bogging you down we need to be reminded of our savior we need to be reminded of jesus who who ran before us he ran the race before us why because hear me when we keep our eye on jesus the perfecter of our faith the weights of life begin to lighten a bit they begin to lessen, and now we can live and we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, hear me. I, 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 in a room this size, I, I know that there are some of you all in here that have never looked to Jesus. You've never looked to him to be the author and perfecter of your faith. 
You're coming in here and you're struggling with all these different things in your life and you're trying to figure it out. And here's the good news. You're here today because God's already doing some work in your heart. But today, maybe saying, I need you to turn and look to me. And some of you all here are here. You know Jesus, but you're going through it. Things are stacking up in your life. You've been looking every which way. And here it is. You need to reorient your eyes to Jesus and look to him. I got four points for you this morning. Uh, good preachers have three, so I need y'all to bear with me. That means I need a whole lot of amens again. So four points, I, I promise, it's, it's, it's all out of the text, nothing too extraordinary. Number one, witnesses give confidence. Number two, lay aside weights and sin. Number three, run with endurance. Number four, look to Jesus. Witnesses give confidence. Laying aside weights and sin. Number three, run with endurance. And number four, look to Jesus. Our passage today begins with the word therefore. Everyone say therefore. Therefore. Begins with the word therefore. This word therefore indicates a continuation from the preceding verses that came before where I spoke on last week where I talked about having faith. When you have faith, it's much less about the amount of faith that you have, and it's more about the object of your faith, who is Jesus. And see, nowadays, I believe we get this all mixed up, and we just say all over the place, you got to have faith. You just got to have faith. You got to have faith. And we throw this thing around very flippantly, and, and, and got to have faith can mean a whole bunch of things. It can mean I got to have faith in, in, in my own personal endeavors. I got to have faith in my job. I got to have faith in my kids, in my possession, uh, intellect, etc. And as you go throughout the Hebrews chapter 11 and you survey and you do some research on some of those guys and and women that are listed there, when you see them putting their faith in all these other things that failed them, you you, you see that that doesn't work. And you also see that these people are very flawed. You see that they're very sinful. And so it proves the point that it's really not about the amount of faith you have. It's more about the object of your faith. You see, the object of their faith is is what got them through, those that went before us. It's what got them through the trials and the tribulations in life, Dan, what they they kept their eye on. It's how they kept moving forward, Mama Rope, but this is what they did. I mean, you look at Matthew chapter 14, and you see with Jesus and, and my man Peter, he's in the boat, and Peter steps out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. And as he's looking at Jesus, he can walk on top of the water. But as soon as he starts surveying the field and he looks around at everything around him, displacing his object, the object of his true faith and all the wind and the waves and the circumstance, what happens? My man Peter starts to sink. You see, those people that went before us, they had the right object of their faith. It was Jesus. Friends, hear me. In order for the Christian to prevail, one has to keep their faith in Jesus. 
So again, the word therefore here in the text, the writer, he's continuing from the prior verses. And as I've noted before, this is a letter, the letter of Hebrews. It's a written letter. So when it was originally written, there would be no chapter and verses. So what you would have seen in the original manuscripts is there's no chapter 11 and chapter 12. No, it would have been continuation in a letter that continues on from that verse that we ended in last week to now where he's going. So he's continuing. There's no breaks here. It's one letter. So go with me on this. I believe look, the writer here continues with the word therefore because, hear me, it's nice to know that these people had the right object of their faith. And all those in Hebrews 11, they trusted in God and all of that. But, but, but the question becomes, what am I supposed to do with that now? How does that help me today? So the author says in verse 1 of the text, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Everyone say witnesses. A great cloud of witnesses. This word witnesses, it refers to the great hall of faith in chapter 11. And, and you get the understanding that by looking at these people that have gone before us and they prevailed, we can do the same. He's trying to get us to look at these folks and say, they went through all of this stuff already. They've been through the mess. There's nothing new under the sun. They got through it, so you can too. See, see there's something about knowing that if somebody has gone before you and they ran through the trials and the tribulations of life and they've made it. There's something about knowing that as you approach that hill or that, that, that thing that you need to conquer in your life that somebody else has done it before you. Y'all ever been there before? Like, you ever got some confidence from looking at someone else do something? Maybe there's a hill in your life right now. Maybe there's a trial or tribulation. And, and, and you're, you're constantly looking at all the people around you that may have already gone through that. There's something about being able to see somebody else or know that they went through it for me. It gives you a, a certain amount of confidence. And don't miss this. I, I, I remember growing up in Gary, Indiana, and there was this neighborhood swimming pool. I, I'm pretty sure the swimming pool was named Ross Pool. And they had this high diving board. At least it looked really high to me as a, a kid in grade school. And you would jump off the diving board into this 12-foot pool. Now, growing up in the hood, we didn't have too many channels. So I guess my guys got too, they got very enamored with this Summer Olympics or something because they would go up this ladder and they're doing all type of stuff off this diving board. Cannonballs, jack knives, M-word, that's an M-word dive, you know. They're jumping off of this sometimes. It was a belly flop, but they're jumping off of this diving board, grabbing stuff off the bottom of the pool, 12 foot. They're doing all of these different things, backflips, inward dives, and, and to the point that one of my guys, he thought he was the bomb, and he, he, he had his big old head, right? He gets on this diving board, and it's the inward dive. You got you to gotta jump out far enough so you don't hurt yourself, and he jumps, but he don't jump out far enough. Hits his head, breaks the diving board. My man was okay. The diving board was broke. And see, here's the thing. 
I'm not too much of a heights dude. I, I, I'm not, so when I'm looking at the diving board, I'm kind of like, yeah, that, I don't know about that. Not really for me. I'm, it is what it is. I ain't afraid of heights. I just respect heights. Somebody go with me. <laughs> but don't you know, as I saw my friends one by one go up that ladder over and over again, trick after trick, out the pool, up the ladder again, on the diving board, another trick, next thing you knew. I was up on the diving board doing it with them. Cannonballs, jack knives, back flips, getting stuff off the bottom, all because I saw someone else go before me. It gave me the confidence to do it multiple times. You see, what the author is trying to say here is that since there have been many people that have ran the race of faith before you, then the believer today or reader today should be able to do the same thing. He's essentially saying to the reader, the present day Christian today, he's saying, I see the mess in your life. I've been there before. I see all the things that are going on around you, all the calamity. I see this pandemic, but don't you quit. Don't you quit on me. Don't give up. I know times are hard right now. I know calamity is at an all-time high. Hardships in your life just keep stacking up over and over again. Things aren't going the way you want, but keep on running. Don't quit. Keep the faith. You can make it, he's saying, just like everybody else that has ran the race before you. And hear me, somebody walked in here this morning, and you're at that place. You're ready to throw in the towel. This relationship, this job, whatever it may be in your life, you're ready to give up. Don't you quit. Don't give up. That's what the writer was really trying to get across to us. But I know somebody is sitting here and you're saying, I still got a question, Pastor D. How am I going to do that? I don't have any more effort. I can't give anymore. I'm done. How, how do I keep going? How do I not quit? I know it's cool. It's motivation that others have gone before me and all those things. But I, I don't have anything else. I need a roadmap or something. I need some help. I love it because the writer, it's like he knew we would need that. And he goes on and he says in the text, a few directives. He says, lay aside the weights. Lay aside sin. Let us run with endurance and look to Jesus. The author refers to sin or weights here as impediments to going forward, to being able to run the race. Now, by saying this, he gives off the notion that too much weight, it, it drags you down. It, it's kind of like an anchor being dragged along the bottom of the seashore or sea bottom as the ship is trying to travel along the sea. You, you get that picture? I don't want y'all to miss this. Some of y'all are not with me on this. Uh, y'all ever watched the Kentucky Derby before? You heard of the Kentucky Derby, right? <laughs> All right, there you go. You ever wondered, at least I have, why those dudes on the back of the horse are so small? 
some really small guys. I mean, they're small on top of this massive beast of a horse. And, and the height range, listen to this, of a, a, a typical jockey, it ranges from like four foot ten to five foot six. And they average weigh about 108 pounds. Really small dudes. But this is why. They are, they weigh so little, they're so small because it's easier, hear me, for the horse to achieve the speed and maintain the endurance needed to win the race. Essentially, the author here in Hebrews is saying the same thing. Don't let anything get in the way of your race. You can't run with all that extra weight on you. It bogs you down. He said, let the weights go. Push them to the side. Lay them to the side. But see, here's the problem, especially for us who live in Chicago and, and this whole American Christianity, because what this forces us to do, if we really want to let this, lay the weights to the side, it, it forces us to, to deal with some underlying mess that's in our hearts. And the reality is, we don't like to deal with our own mess. We want to keep on going. We don't want to see what's really going on. It forces us to ask the real question of what, what's truly weighing you down. And see, unlike the jockey, we don't just need to have a small frame and stature when we're running the race of faith. But instead, it's less about your physical and it's more about your internal posture or should I say How's your heart? How's your heart? Friends, I, I think when we read Hebrews chapter 12, we commonly look at this, and it's very easy for us to say things like, well, I, I struggle with lust. I, I struggle with porn. My, my weight, I struggle with these things. I struggle with money. I struggle with alcohol, etc." And all of these things, when we say them, they're things that we can, we can tangibly grasp. These are things that we notice. We can see these things. So what we try to do is, is start to manage them. We get accountability and we put guards up. And hear me, those are good things. You need accountability and guards in your life. But what we don't do or what we fail to do is slow down a bit and go a bit deeper to see what's really going on in our hearts. See, what we fail to see is that there's this natural proclivity that exists within our hearts to choose the things that are not of God. And when we fail to go that deep, you know what happens? We never, ever truly let the weights go. And we're commonly in the same space, like, why can't I get out of this thing? Why am I still struggling with this? Well, we never really dealt with the weights. I know I stepped into someone's neighborhood, so I need y'all to take a walk with me. Let's walk through this neighborhood. King David, Old Testament, my man King David, we know him as a man after God's own heart. But King David did some really foul stuff. King David... Supposed to be out at war, he looks over his balcony, he sees Bathsheba, a.k.a. Bathsheba, because she was fine, y'all. He, he saw her and he was like, I've got to have 
her. So what does he do? He summons her to his chambers. He doesn't ask her to come. He says, you come on up here. He orders her. A, this is most likely against her will. She comes into the chamber. Y'all don't think about this this way, but I'm going to tell you. She comes to the chamber, again, most likely against her will, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. What does he do to cover up his mess? He sends her husband to the front lines to kill her. He kills her husband and then brings her into his household. With the baby, let's play house together like nothing else ever happened. We're good. And he does this for years until the prophet Nathan comes along and says, you're wrong. You did these things, David. Y'all see the issue with David? Let me help you see this. David did some very wrong things here, which he was aware of. He knew that he was wrong. And what does he do? He tries to clean it up. He tries to clean it up in his own power, but he missed the real issue that existed within his heart. Which right here, essentially is a power idol. David had the power to do what he wanted and then clean it up. He had the power to make a woman sleep with him. He had the power to have a man kill. He had the power to, to kill all of his surface issues or to get rid of his surface issues. But that didn't solve the issue that was going on in his heart. So you see David writing Psalm 51, of my favorite verses, Psalm 51, 12. He says, after confronted with Nathan, look at it with me. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Don't miss this. David writes this as well as the rest of Psalm 51 because with his own power, he could clean up some of his mess. He could get rid of some of his surface issues and fix them, but he couldn't fix his heart. So he says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Friends, I need you to hear this. Laying aside the weights or the sin in our lives, it's not as easy as seeing a bad habit and now changing a habit. It's much deeper than that. You can't work or will your way out of sin. You need a savior. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Paul, when he's writing this in Ephesians, he's saying that we couldn't save ourselves. We, we can change our habits all we want, but unless we understand that it is by God's unmerited favor, God's grace, and our belief by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, unless we believe that it saved us, we will constantly not only be plagued by a depraved heart, but we will live a life that's free from peace in the midst of turmoil. We won't experience the peace of God because we haven't. Truly look to Jesus. So the author says, look to Jesus. But before he gets there, he says, let us run with endurance. So first he says, lay aside the weights. Then he says, lay, away, lay aside the sin and, and, and all those things that so easily cling to us. But then he says, let us run with endurance. 
Now, the author ha has reasoning by, uh, for doing the exhortations in this orderly process. He says, lay aside the weights and the sin because you cannot run, hear me, with endurance with all this extra weight. Can't have endurance. Who, who's ever seen a, a long-distance runner with a whole bunch of weight on them? Doesn't exist. I looked up this word endurance, and it says this, the ability to endure an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. Number two, it says the capacity of something to last or to withstand wear and tear. Endurance, in other words, means to do something for the long haul or with the long haul in mind. Which means along the way, you're going to have some obstructions and obstacles that you go through. How many of y'all know we have obstacles and obstructions in our life that, that come up against us? That, that, that's something that we, we go through as we walk through this life. Things just pop up in our lives. So in essence, the author is saying in endurance, when he says let, let us run with endurance, it means that you're not just running this race trying to get through, but you got to pay attention to some of this stuff around you in order to make it through. you got to pay attention to your surroundings. I, I was recently on a walk with my wife. We were walking on this wilderness trail in the middle of the woods, and I, I couldn't help but look down and, and just look at the trail, and I'm like, man... I couldn't ever be a cross-country runner. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm not a runner, y'all. I, I used to do some sprints playing football and things like that. I'm not a runner. My wife, on the other hand, ran cross-country. And, and so I'm telling her about this. I'm like, I couldn't do this. And, and then she just gets a little geeked, and she just starts telling me about running cross-country. And she starts telling me about cross-country two-a-days. And I said, what? Y'all about died when she said cross-country two-a-days. I'm like, who going to run two-a-days for cross-country? She's like, yeah, yeah, we wake up in the morning, and we'd run four miles, and then after lunch, we'd run another four miles. I said, you must be out of your mind. And see, I didn't just say that because I'm like, I don't want to run. I don't want to do that. But... I'm also looking at the, the ground, and I'm looking at the terrain around, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing sticks and stones and all this, this ivy and different things around, and I'm like, yo, only thing I could think about were my ankles. <laughs> I mean, every, every morning I get up from football and stuff, my ankles hurt. I'm like, I, I couldn't do this. Mm -mm. And she just keeps on talking about cross-country and running. And she's like, you know, when you run cross-country, she said this to me a number of times. You just, you just start after first mile or two miles, you just get in a groove. And I'm like, yeah, that groove ain't never happened for me. <laughs> never happened for me. I just, I'm just tired. And so she's like, you get in a groove. And she was like, but the difference with cross-country is that you can't just have endurance. You can't just have endurance running this race but in cross-country, you got to pay attention to everything around you. Because you might break your ankle, tripping over a stick. You, you, you might roll your ankle. You might break a leg. You might get some poisonous sumac or ivy, which she's had all of that. you got to pay attention to the things around you. You can't just have endurance because if you don't pay attention, you're going to get hurt. But if you run with endurance and you pay attention... You'll make it to the finish line. 
Friends, for us in here, it feels like we're on a cross-country journey right now. We're running this race with endurance, and there's so many obstacles for some of us that keep popping up in front of us seemingly all over the place. You see one thing after another. You just got through this trial, and then another thing pops up. And see, here's the problem for us. We don't just pay attention to these things and keep running. When we see the obstacles, you know what we do? We stop. And we start trying to work on this obstacle. We, trying to, we start trying to fix this thing right here. And now what, what's happened is we've lost sight of where we're supposed to be going. Now we can't run the race anymore. You notice in the text, it, it doesn't say solve the issues or lay aside the weights or the sin and run with endurance in your own strength. But the author says, look to Jesus. See, family, it, it's just like in the cross-country race with all the obstacles Kaylee would run this race, and she would, she would see the stick on the ground, but she wouldn't stop to pick up the stick. She would see the rock on the ground. She wouldn't stop and pick up the rock and throw it out of the way. No, what she would do is she would jump over the stick, and she would run around the rock. You know why she would do this? Because she knew the prize that awaited her once she crossed the finish line. So she's looking at the surroundings, but she don't stop. Y'all missing this. I got a few claps. She didn't get the prize, hear me, from clearing the path of all the sticks. She didn't get the prize for picking up the rock off the ground and doing a geological study on it and telling everybody about it. No, she got the prize when she crossed the finish line and finished the race. Friends, hear me. There are too many of us in here that are bogged down right now in life. Your circumstance, your relationship, your finances. And hear me, you see all of these things and you've tried what you can and what you, you, you're trying to make it happen, you're trying to fix it, but the reality is something that you can't fix by yourself. You need God's help. And all you can do right now is be faithful in the midst of what's going on around you. This means being faithful in a situation or a circumstance where you can't see your way out of it. This means being faithful to Jesus in the midst of your singleness. Yeah, in your singleness. Or in the midst of that marriage relationship that seems like it's broken or that broken relationships, it means being faithful to Jesus and, and waiting on him. That mean, means not going out on more dates or, or trying to fix this thing your way and trying to put all these things together. No, waiting on Jesus. And hear me, waiting on Jesus don't mean just sitting on the sideline doing nothing like God's going to provide in this time. That's not what I'm talking about. Waiting on Jesus means being occupied with the things of God. That means picking up the Bible and spending quiet time with them. It means being active in your church. It means serving in your church, giving of your time, talent, and your treasures. Waiting on Jesus doesn't mean be lazy. Being faithful to God, this is what this means. It means being faithful at the job that you don't want right now. I know I stepped into someone's neighborhood. There's another job that you want, but you got this job. It means being faithful there and watching God work while you look for another one and he provides another one. See, I, I, don't, I don't come from the school of where, where we quit a job and we ain't got another one. That don't make sense to me. <laughs> Unless something is happening here where you got to get away, but quitting, the, that's, not, that's not faithfulness. That's irresponsible. 
Somebody amen to me. <laughs> the writer in the text family, he's not trying to tell you to lay aside the weights and the sins of life and then run with endurance in your own strength. No, he, he, he instead says in verse 2, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And some of us, again, we've walked in here, and this is your first time being at church or being back. You never really looked to Jesus and given him your all. And today's the day that you need to give him your life and say, Jesus, I trust you as Lord and Savior. I look to you. I tried to do it my way. I failed, and I need you. Some of you walked in here and you know Jesus, but you've been looking everywhere else. You've been occupied with this thing and that thing. You're trying to fix this relationship. You're trying to fix this thing over here. And you're looking everywhere but Jesus. And today you need to reorient your gaze and look to Jesus. This all brings me to my last point. Because now the question becomes, Pastor D, throughout the last few weeks, I've heard you say we got to have confidence in Jesus. I've heard you say we have to have faith in Jesus. And now the text says look to Jesus. So you ask the question why. Well, I'm glad y'all asked. Look with me at verse 2 again. It says looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hear me, family, as we get ready to make our way home this morning. To look to means to keep your eyes on. This phrase to look to means in all you do, you, you, you don't just see what you're looking at. You, you don't just make it the object of what you're, you don't just focus on it. No, no, no. You give your life to it. You notice the writer doesn't say, look to what you want. You notice he doesn't say, look to your own strength, but he says, look to Jesus. He says this because Jesus is the source and the perfecter of our Christian faith. The author is calling on Christians to keep their eyes on Jesus because once the Christian has tasted the joy and satisfaction of knowing Jesus, nothing else compares nothing else compares it's like eating the frozen pizza that DiGiorno stuff when you after you already tasted the Chicago deep dish it ain't the same it's like warming up a hot dog in the microwave or or boiling that joint and when you after you've tasted the charbroiled goodness or the grilled Chicago-style hot dog on the sesame seed bun with the, you know, with the, with the pickle on that joint and the, and the peppers on top and the onions and the mustard. Y'all, I'm trying to tell you it ain't the same. You see, the Christian that knows Christ as the source or founder and perfecter of their faith will happily lay aside every sinful way and run towards Christ because nothing else compares. Nothing compares. I got a few claps because some of y'all missing this. I'm trying to tell you, it's, it's like eating a McDonald's burger after you had five guys and 
all Cheval or Pastor D's burger. I'm trying to tell you. It just ain't the same. You see, once you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then not only will you run with a distant uh, endurance laying aside the weights, but you won't want anything else but Jesus. And I know somebody in here say, well, well, okay, okay, I get you, Pastor D, but how do I know that the Lord is good? Okay, let's look back at the text. The text tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, which means that Jesus, here it is, he who knew no sin became sin for you and me. 2 Corinthians 5.21, in fact, says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, Jesus was perfect in every way. As you flip through the scriptures, you see that he was perfect. The Bible tells us that he was holy, that he was set apart. He didn't have any sin, but instead of holding on to that, what does he do? He takes on our mess. He takes on our sin. He takes on our shame. He takes on our guilt. He then is whipped, and he makes his road to the cross, and he hangs on the cross for our trespasses, not things that he did, but things that we did. He takes it upon himself, and he dies for you and I because he loves us. And hear me, I'm not done. So what this means is when God looks at you and me, he no longer sees our filth. He no longer sees our sin. But instead, because he who knew no sin became sin, God now sees us cloaked in the righteousness of his son. That's good news. That's good news on the day, family. That's good news. And you tell me something or someone else that is better than that. He or she or it does not exist. So hear me, we don't run this race without hope. We don't run it with strength that fails. But instead, we run this race with endurance, looking to Jesus who has gone before us, who's fulfilled all the prophecies, who has held up to God's standard of holiness, and he's died in our place. He didn't die twice. He's not going to die again. He died once and for all for our sins. And now he's seated, as the text says, at the right hand of God. And that's good news if you didn't know because by him sitting at the right hand of God, that means that when we mess up on our day-to-day as we're walking through this road and we have a mishap here and we mess up over here, there's still grace. And there's still grace if you missed it because him sitting at the right hand of God means that he's still interceding on our behalf. He's still standing in our place. So God is still seeing the goodness of his son instead of our mess. His righteousness is still covering us. That's some good news. I'm trying to tell me, y'all tell me if if I'm missing it, what's better than that? I'll wait. Family, as we end, the band gets ready to come forward. If we keep our attention on Jesus, he will enable us to persevere. Jesus himself, he reached the finish line before us, and he did it 
us. And the text says, for the joy, the joy, the joy, don't miss that word, the joy that lay before him, because of that, he endured the cross. Hear me, just as Jesus looked to the joy that was before him of being reunited with his Father in heaven, we too as Christians, if we name the name Jesus as Lord and Savior, can run this race with endurance, believing in the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. If we believe, we can run with confidence. And we can run with faith in Jesus. So friends, let's run. Let's run together, family. Let's run. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness. You're truly awesome. God, thank you for just your grace, even in the midst of us failing, in the midst of us messing up, even in the midst of us losing our attention and paying attention to all the mess and everything else in our lives, God, I pray that even in this moment, God, that you would work in our hearts and remind us that all we need is you. Because of your goodness, God, we're still here. So when the world and everything around us, even our friends and people around us say we need to do this and we need to do this, reminded constantly that it's you we need and nothing else. God, I know there are folks that walked in here and they've never really placed their faith in you. They know you by name and they know how to come to church but they've given their life to you. And God, I pray that as you work in their hearts, that you would draw them to the place that they say, I'm done with all of that stuff. I want to run for Jesus. I pray for the person that's been running for you, that, that loves you, God, but they've been off track. Would they refocus their gaze on you? know that you're the God that never left them nor forsakes them. You're still the same God who reigns. So even in the midst of everything around us, God, we can still trust you because you're good. So Lord, we thank you. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.